Volume 2, Chapter 6 of Evelyn, or A Heart Unmasked, a novel by Anna Cora Mowat. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kelly Taylor. Chapter 6 Oh, how this spring of love resembleth the uncertain glory of an April day, which now shows all her beauty to the sun, and by and by a cloud bears all away. From Hubert Damoreau, True Frederick Ruthven, December 28th. By all that is execrable, dear Fred, I do pronounce myself the most unlucky, the most pestered, the most miserable dog that walks at large about this mundane sphere. I made up my mind upon this point as I was stirring a tolerably strong cup of coffee this morning and hoping that it might rid me at once of a headache and dejection for I have fallen into the last stage of ennui. Here I sit, with all the attributes of wealth around me, like a bird without a mate, its last one, pining in a golden cage, and wishing myself to the devil, or anywhere but where I am. But perhaps I make a mistake in desiring any nearer proximity to his satanic majesty than I now enjoy, since if his presence can create an infernal region out of a seeming paradise, he is certainly my guest. Fred, I have made up my mind that the preachers have the best of the argument, and that all is vanity and vexation of the spirit. I shall turn saint. To have been outwitted, mocked, made a fool of at my years, for I am a veteran in the pursuit of pleasure, and the knowledge of womanhood, is it not enough to kindle the ire of all the Jobs in the Old Testament? I am too important an individual for trouble to visit me single-handed. One might suppose that the hydra-headed monster intended to overwhelm me with horrors until I grew penitent, confessed my peccadilloes, and cried out for quarter. I have half a mind to hang myself out of very desperation and disgust for life, and for the sake of getting rid of myself. It would be a capital end all. Shall I transmit you a curtailed catalogue of my grievances? Item first, to disaster first. The doors of the odor-breathing conservatory are now always closed. It is many days since the bower of the porcelain sultana has been reconstructed with fresh flowers, and the forget-me-nots in her vase are all withered. Adam second, the painting on the wall representing Conrad and Galnaire has grown odious to me. The very sight of it provokes me to anger, not unmingled with some sorrow. These two items necessarily follow in the train of an unlooked-for calamity, which I shall not name. Disaster second. Whom do you suppose I met the other day, just as I was descending the steps of the Astor House? Whom but Claudine herself? 
I knew that I should stumble upon her some day or the other. I have long felt that the girl was my evil genius, and my forebodings may not be groundless. How she found her way here, heaven only knows. One might be tempted to believe that she was guided by fate. You see, I am fast becoming a predestinarian. What shall I be next? Well, to proceed. I encountered Claudine. That is to say, she encountered me, for she was veiled and I did not first recognize her. Yet it was a wonder that I could have forgotten her fairy-like Fenella figure. My dormant memory was quickened by the sound of her voice, for she walked close beside me, whispered, Claudine, in my ear, lifted her veil for a second, and disappeared. I was shocked to find her so much alter, though of course it is her own fault. There was no use of her grieving away her beauty, for really she was pretty enough to be wiser. What fools these women are. I have a strong inclination to forswear them, but the fit will not last. Disaster third caps the climax. Three days after my reconnoiter with the little Zintapi, I received the intelligence that Mrs. J and L, important bankers, who held in their hands two-thirds of my property, had failed and I consequently find myself minus some $60,000. The income of the remaining 30 will not by any means support me as a gentleman should live, and as I must live. What is to be done? I cannot afford to pocket my loss, and the evil will not remedy itself. I have two projects on foot, if one fails, huzzah for the other. The second is quite in my line, as the merchants say, for I have never met with a decided rebuff yet where a woman was concerned. My first project will create for me that engrossing excitement which I need as a tonic for my debilitated mental system. I propose making a bold dash and investing at least half all that I am worth in Canton and Erie Railroad stock. Success is for the venturous, and Wall Street is the El Dorado of the reckless fortune seeker. It is a fashionable and licensed gaming table at which men do not lose their reputation and where fortunes grow like Jack the Giant Killer's beanstalk. I am certain of winning, but even should I lose every copper, I think my money well expended if it purchased me a pleasurable excitement. If I am unsuccessful, I should console myself with my second project, which will prove a much safer, though less tempting, speculation. To explain to you my intentions and hopes, I must go back in my history to the evening upon which I personated Conrad. Medora was represented by a fair young woman, whom I have reasons to think would entertain no especial scruples to being in reality the Corsair's bride. She is one of those mild, meek creatures who are half afraid of their own thoughts, 
and yet never harbor an idea which might not be written in the journal of a saint. In point of beauty, she cannot compare with Evelyn, nor indeed with Claudine. But she has a pale, expressive face, gentle, blue eyes, a slender, ladylike figure, much natural grace, and very silken, sunny hair, which is always beautifully, and I may say poetically arranged. And you will remember that I am particularly fastidious about a woman's mode of dressing her hair. These attributes would be by no means sufficient to qualify her to enact the part of Conrad's wife in real life, but she has other more important recommendations. She is an only child and an heiress. I warrant that you are already alarmed at the idea of my committing matrimony. But consider my necessities, Fred. As a matter of course, you will not doubt my power of winning the young lady's affections. Fortunately for me, I am not in the vein to take much trouble. They are already more than half won. The hue of the fair one's cheek as you address her is an admirable barometer proclaiming the state of her heart, and Amy's cheek has betrayed some of her heart's tenderest secrets. Pity me, Fred, for I must be in a sad plight to even contemplate entangling myself in the bonds of matrimony. Luckily, I have a faculty of rendering all bonds light. I am so consumedly dull just at this moment that I will shorten my letter and inflict no more of my stupidity upon you. I am half inclined to adopt my friend Richard's opinion and believe I am hipped. By the way, I am getting tired of this same Richard's eternal boring. The baboon's tricks no longer amuse me and I shall order the door to be closed in his inquisitive face some day or other. Very dolefully yours, Hubert Damoreau. End of chapter 6